Great. Well, we're here for Grow Course Class Number Three. Anyway, last month we met, and I asked you to send in some photos that would illustrate the type of growth that we are trusting God for in the Grow Course. Growth in knowledge of God's Word, of understanding and application. We're talking exponential growth, unusual growth, enduring growth and change. So I wanted to give you one entry that I received from Catherine Mendez. And what we have here is none other than the Raphaelicia Arnoldi. It is a flower. Now you may look at that going, what's the big deal? Well, let me tell you what this flower. This is no usual, ordinary flower we have here. Rather, to read from the link she sent me on the internet, this Raphaelisia ornaldi is the largest flower in the world. It can grow up to three feet across and weigh 24 pounds. 24 pounds. This is the flower, mind you. It is found on the jungle floor in the rainforest in Indonesia, Malaya, Borneo, Sumatra, and the Philippines. But listen to this. To quote from the internet link, this strange plant, this strange flower, emits a repulsive, rotten flesh stench. Guys, this is truly a manly man flower right here. You're looking at one, okay? And it's this stench which attracts insects, such as carrion flies that pollinate the plant, that would send humans, quote, scurrying the opposite direction if it weren't for its spectacular splendor. So there you go, the Raphaelisia Arnoldi. So keep your submissions coming in <laughs> as we begin and continue on with our grow course. Thank you, Catherine, for that. Well, as we begin our class today, I just wanted to take just a few moments here just to remind you that our attempts to understand and properly interpret God's word, it's not in vain, folks. Is it hard work at times? It is, but it's not in vain. Perhaps this month you've struggled maybe just to find time to do the assignment. Perhaps you've struggled in understanding the text, or perhaps if you're older like me, just remembering what you just read in the previous verse. Perhaps you're struggling as you read through Ephesians just to see the forest through the trees. You know, all, all the details, all these complex and at times, bewildering, long sentences that the Apostle Paul is so fond of in his writing in the epistles. Well, if that is you tonight, just want to say, don't fear. As Christians, we can take confidence that we're not alone, that we've been given God's very Spirit, His Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit is not only the author of Scripture, that he is. All Scripture is God-breathed, inspired by God. The Holy Spirit is also the interpreter of Scripture as well. And he is a willing helper to all those who study his word. So here's the point. What we have, church, is the revelation of God to us. It's right here, the word of God. You know what revelation is? Revelation is a decision of God, a decision in the mind of God to make his ways known to you. That is his decision. 
God is in the business of revealing himself, his character, and his ways to you. God loves to disclose himself. He wants you to know him. How? Through his living word. And that is my confidence when I come to scripture. As difficult as it may be some mornings to read and to comprehend what is being said, that I've been given a helper, the very Holy Spirit, whom God has given me to help interpret his word. I love this quote here. I want to read to you from G.I. Packer. It says, Your confidence as an interpreter comes not from your own rational powers, nor from your library, nor from your hours of hard work. That's important. But from your knowledge that the Spirit opens the eyes of our hearts so we can understand his word and his ways. That's really, if you've been reading through Ephesians, which I believe you and trust you have, that the Apostle Paul is saying when he's praying for the Ephesians. He says in Ephesians 1.17, he prays this, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you what? A spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. Paul is praying forth what the Spirit is doing and what the Spirit has been given for, that you and your eyes of your heart may be enlightened to God's word and to his revelation. He says it again in another way in the second prayer. Where's that found in Ephesians? Second prayer? What chapter? Chapter 3, thank you, 3.16. Paul prays again that his readers, quote, might be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Why? Look at verse 18, Ephesians 3. That you may have strength to comprehend. This spirit has been given to you that you may comprehend the precious truths that we are exploring here this evening. Well, this evening we're going to be discussing the segments and divisions and key words and key verses and themes for our book that we're studying this year, the book of Ephesians. There will be things that you saw and things that you see that you'll hear tonight. You know what? You'll be encouraged. And there will be some things that you didn't see. that you may have totally missed as we go through this exercise. And there may be, may be a temptation even to be a little discouraged. I didn't see that. I missed that. Well, hang in there. The Spirit has been given to unveil our minds and to attune our hearts, okay, to what he is saying. He's doing that, and I'm trusting he's going to do that tonight as we open up his word once again. So with that in mind, let's pray for our time together. Dear Lord, the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may you this evening fill us with a spirit, your spirit, a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. Would you enlighten our hearts this evening that we would see, Father, your grand plan for us and for your creation, executed through your Son, Jesus Christ, and his atoning work on the cross, 
and mediated to us through your Holy Spirit. May we see the triune God in all his glory right here in Ephesians as we delve in this evening. Show us, help us as we put ourselves in humble submission to your word this evening. Amen. Amen. Well, since it's been a month since we've last met, I want to just briefly walk through, kind of capture once again the flow of Ephesians. I want to do this by way of a reminder. I want to do this as an exercise as well. So what I'm going to attempt to do for you is to give you the flow of Ephesians and to do it without notes. Because this is really our goal, not just for me, but for you as well, that we'd be able to capture concisely the flow of this book in our minds. It would be affixed. Okay, it'd be accurately affixed, and it would be accessible in our minds. Okay, simple enough that we could recite the flow and themes of Ephesians without having to look at our notes. So it's there. So I'm going to do this by way of reminder, and I'm going to use some of my some of my paragraph titles and study. So if you were up here and doing this, it may sound a little different. Okay, but I'm using what I have studied and put down in my chart to help me as I attempt to capture this flow of this wonderful book. So let's do it. Let's start with Ephesians 1. After the greeting in Ephesians 1, Paul gives an outburst of praise. To whom? To God for every spiritual blessing in Christ. Verses 3 through 10. And then we learn in verses 11 through 14 that every spiritual blessing has been sealed, has been guaranteed. By whom? The indwelling spirit within us. This leads Paul in verses 15 to 23 in a marvelous prayer. What is his prayer? That our hearts may be enlightened. Enlightened to what? To his spiritual blessings and God's power and purpose in giving us those blessings. For Ephesians chapter 2, we've been made alive in Christ. We have been reconciled to God the Father. Not only that, we've been reconciled to one another. As we read in verses 11 through 22 of Ephesians 2, that God in reconciling us to one another has made one man out of the two, Jew and Gentile. And this leads to chapter 3, this mystery of God's reconciling work was revealed to the Apostle Paul, right? How? Through the Spirit. And this mystery now is being revealed through his church to all spiritual powers and authorities in the heavenlies. And then we then go on to, and this leads to Paul's second prayer, which we find in chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. It's a prayer for spiritual strength that we would comprehend the love and the work of Christ in our hearts and in the church. So in light of these truths that we just rehearsed in chapters 1 through 3, comes chapter 4, how we should live. For this reason, we ought to walk, we ought to live a life worthy of our calling in unity. As we read in chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. A life lived in unity 
but yet exercising the diversity of gifts given to build up the church. As we read from verses 7 of chapter 4 through verses 16. We're to verse 17, walk in the truth. Verses 25 and following, to put away falsehood. And then we move into verse chapter 5 of Ephesians. We ought to walk in love, verses 2 and following. We're then to verse 7, also walk in the light. And then again in verse 15, we are to walk in wisdom, making most of every opportunity to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to do the Lord's will. How? In our relationships. And then Paul goes into these relationships. Yes, wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives, right? Children, obey your parents. Slaves, obey your master. Why? In these relationships that we may witness and testify to Christ's rulership in our hearts and the unity that we now share as those who have been reconciled to him. And then we move into the last part of Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. That we are what? To stand firm in these truths as we walk out the life of unity and reconciliation that Christ has called us to, knowing that we will be opposed. Stand firm in the truth with the weapons that Christ has given you, the spiritual armor of God. There we go. That's it. That's the book of Ephesians right there. That is the flow of the book. So our goal is that you would have that flow in your mind. You may express it a little differently than I just did, but that was just things that I've been reading and studying. It's a flow that helps me understand where Paul's going. And I can dip in to any chapter or verse and understand its context, its placement when I study it, that it may be enriched, it may fully understand and help me interpret that which I am reading. Well, that's the flow. And that's what we talked about primarily last time we met. But this month, we're actually it's a little different. We're looking at the larger structure of the book of Ephesians. All right? And that where we come now into your homework that was given to you. And it was a task of identifying the segments, division, and keywords. So all of you hopefully have your Ephesians book chart. The one I originally gave out was in yellow. I see many of you have those. And what you're asked to do and what we're going to discuss in our small groups in just a moment is this, the different segments, okay? The segments is this column over here, right here, you see? The different say we're going to give titles to those segments, okay? The segment in chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, two segments in chapter 4, 3 plus in chapter 5, and then chapter 6 as well. We're going to give names to these segments. Ask you to do it using four words or less, those words don't necessarily have to be in the text, but we says that they would help if they were, but we want to use four words or less, keep it concise. We're also then going to use also, after that, discuss the divisions, the two major divisions of the book as well. The first three chapters, the indicatives, and the second three chapters, the imperative or commands. And then we're going to discuss also some of the key words and some of the key maybe verses or verses that you found that represent the theme of Ephesians, okay? So that is the plan. So what I want you to do now is to break up into your small groups 
and uh, small group leaders, home group leaders, we're going to spend about 15 minutes max going through and having people in your group share what they came up with for their segments, divisions, keywords, key verse, and a provisional theme as well for the book of Ephesians. And then we'll gather back together and we'll discuss those together as we look at the structure and the big picture now of Ephesians. All right, go gather. We ready? Great. Well, a little feedback. First of all, so how was the exercise? Did you find it difficult, easy, somewhere in between as far as coming up with concise titles for the segments, particularly in the two divisions? Just give me some feedback. Hard? Harder than the paragraph titles. It's a little more challenging? A lot more challenging. Okay. Anyone else concur or think differently? Difficult, okay. Okay. Yeah, it's often an inductive study, seeing the big picture. Once you're immersed in all the details, it can be difficult to emerge and see the bigger picture and to be able to properly assess, categorize um, in a concise way what we're seeing, isn't it? It It is a challenge. It's a fruitful endeavor, but it takes a lot of work, doesn't it? Yeah. Anyone else? Similar? Experience? I'm taking that as a yes. <laughs> you guys look stunned. Oh. Well, let us discuss some. Love to hear. Once again, I want to emphasize that there is not one perfect right answer. I will say some answers are better than others. Okay? All right? That is true. But there's not just one answer. So we're looking at, once again, Segments that help clearly define the themes um, according to the segment or divisions in a way that you can that is accurate and memorable as well. That's why I limited you to four words. So you would hopefully remember this, even if you don't have your notes with you at your side. So let's start with the first three chapters. Actually, the first three chapters I really like. They're really cool because they fit really neatly. Each segment is one chapter, right? So so paragraphs three through five fit into one segment. That's chapter one. Okay. Chapter two is uh, composed of two paragraphs, six and seven. And chapter three is composed of four paragraphs. So we have three neat and tidy segments, i.e. segments are equivalent, in this case, to the chapter. So Let's hear your title for chapters 1, 2, and 3. These are the indicatives. What is true of us? What is true about God? Okay, these are statements. These are theological statements primarily. They're going to inform how we then should live in verses, excuse me, chapters 4 through 6. Does someone want to be daring enough to give me their three titles for segments 1, 2, and 3, chapters 1, 2, and 3? It's going to be a discussion, guys, so I'll wait. <laughs> Give it a shot. Okay, Kevin. Okay, let me repeat this. Spiritual blessings in Christ. Okay, chapter one. Reconcile grace through faith. Revelation of gospel mystery. Okay, good. Do you think you can remember those? What do you think? <laughs> That's right. Great. Any others? 
Tim. Blessing and inheritance. Blessing and inheritance, okay. Christ the cornerstone. Christ the cornerstone. Generations of rich glory. Wow. All right. I think that's memorable and descriptive. You certainly captured the idea of blessings there, which is prominent in the first segment there, chapter one. Of course, you're capturing Christ in chapter two as the cornerstone there, right? What was was your third again? Generations of rich glory. Generations of rich glory. That's taken what from the end of the prayer there? Or I see the the word generation there. What was your thinking there? Not saying it was bad thinking. Just want to hear our logic here. Not trying to embarrass you guys. Just want to hear what you're thinking and how, in some cases, you came up with that title. Yeah, 21 is the last verse there, chapter 3. Throughout the generations, forever and ever, to him be the glory. Okay. All right. Others. So we have a lot of different answers here. Yes, Raphael. Can I repeat that for the recording? Knowing our hope in Christ. Reconciliation. Reconciliation. Gospel made known. Good. I like those one word. I can remember the one word. Reconciliation. That's good, right? You can have more, Definitely. Gospel made known, mystery revealed, definitely a prominent part of chapter 3 that you may want to capture as well. And this theme of reconciliation is also a key theme in, in Ephesians as well. Yes, I like the eager. All right, Christina in Spanish. Okay, translate. For the, for, for the recording, of course, you know, for those. Yeah. Okay. Blessed inheritance with wisdom and wisdom. And wisdom. Okay. A life reconciled in Christ. A life. A life. Alive. Gotcha. Alive and reconciled. Gotcha. <laughs> Made alive in Christ and reconciled. Good. Preaching the revealed mystery. Okay. Right. I think you captured some of the main themes of each chapter there, right? The blessing, the hope, right? Second one was made alive in Christ, right? One of my paragraph titles for chapter two, verses one through ten, made alive. And then that theme of reconciliation is really prominent in Ephesians. You're capturing that in chapter two. And three, this whole idea of mystery being revealed, I think, is important as well. I think you captured some major themes there that were helpful. Maybe at least an English translation, maybe a tad wordy, but maybe they flow better in Spanish. I can't answer that one, so long as you, you know, it's, a, it's an easy flow for you to remember. Yeah. Others, good. Marcos. Uh, I have a disclaimer. I average four words across all three. Oh, an average. Okay. <laughs> nice. Ooh, we got a lot in there. Predestined, comma, his will, inheritance. You just kind of get it all in there. Okay. Okay. Uh, by grace, access, and life. By grace, access, and life. Access and life. Mystery revealed. I think your content in the first two segments is accurate. I just think it's going to be hard to remember. The mystery revealed, I think, is much more clear. I think you may have a struggle 
You're trying to kind of get it all in there, you know, by the string of words. It may be difficult. You can keep it, certainly, but you may find after a while that that's going to slip, you know. So once again, you got the content, making it simple, making it simple, okay? Blake, yes. Okay, predestination and redemption, okay. Reconciliation. Revelation. Revelation. Ugh. I like that reconciliation and revelation. I, once again, one word, I'm liking that. Two and three, very easy. Reconciliation, revelation. Ooh, that's good. You didn't have the two R's going. You had the, you had the redemption, too. What was your first one? <laughs> it's all Miss. Keeping it simple, stupid. The kiss principle right there. <laughs> I'm going to erase that. We're going to edit that. <laughs> Ooh, you keep the redemption. You got three R's. Redemption, reconciliation, and revelation. Okay. Okay. Good. Any, any others? Let's hear it. One more. One more. Okay, Lenny. Modifying. That's right. Oh, Our blessings in Christ? Saved by grace? Mystery revealed to Gentiles. Certainly I've seen a common theme here with, with this third segment, chapter three, the mystery revealed. So I think we are seeing overall some common themes here, the blessing and hope, the reconciliation, the mystery revealed. And uh, good. Good. Well, let me give you my three that are just a tad different. And once again, it's just a different way of looking at it. So once again, this isn't the right answer. But what I was trying to do here is kind of capture the triune work of, the God, of God, the Trinity, as I see in Ephesians here. We see all three members of the Trinity, all three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, working together in these first three chapters. So what I did and what I saw was this. I saw it in chapter 1, particularly... What's being highlighted in the person being praised is God. Okay, God. He's being praised for his plan that he has foreordained and is executing. Okay, which we see in verses 9 and particularly verse 10. We, we see words in chapter 1 that the Father has blessed us in Christ, that he chose us in him, verse 4. Verse 5, that he predestined us through Jesus Christ. And then verse 9, his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan, as a plan for the fullness of time. And then verse 11, and then we've attained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him. So we see this purposeful plan of God which has been enacted and for whom he's being praised, whom we are praising him for. So I entitled this first segment, chapter one, The Father's Purpose, or The Father's Plan, okay? And then I went to chapter two, and it seems like chapter two is really an elaboration of how this plan was 
and has been executed. Okay? It's really an elaboration of verses 7 and 8 of chapter 1. If we go to verses, chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, we read, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Okay? Chapter 2 really seems to be an elaboration of this key spiritual blessing found in chapter 1. So if chapter 1 was the Father's plan, I put chapter 2 could be called the Son's salvation, for he is the one who executed God's eternal plan. Christ was the one who was sent to save us. We see that terminology, save, verse 5 and verse 8, to save us, right? By grace you've been saved by faith, right? By grace you've been saved through faith, again in verse 8. Not only do we see the Father's plan of salvation, but also of reconciliation, which many of you mentioned as well. How? Through Christ. Look at verse 13. But now in Christ, you who once far off have been brought near, how? By the blood of Christ. Referring to Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Right? And then again, look at verse 18. For through him, who's, who's him? Through Christ, we have both access in one spirit to the Father. So we see the Son's work in executing the plan of the Father. So the Father's plan, chapter 1, chapter 2, the Son's salvation. And then we get to chapter 3, and particularly what we see here, among other things, is the work of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, His work. It's alluded to in chapter 2, the very last verse of chapter 2, in verse 22, in Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And then in verse chapter 3, Paul seems to be highlighting the work of the Spirit. It's the Spirit that has revealed this mystery of reconciliation. Right? And then Paul goes into a prayer in the latter part of chapter 3. He prays that you may be strengthened, right? With power. How? Through his spirit in your inner being. In other words, that the dwelling Holy Spirit may enable you to comprehend the mystery of reconciliation and comprehend this very work of Christ, his love in your hearts and through the church. So, chapter one, the Father's plan. Chapter two, the Son's salvation. Chapter three, the Spirit's ministry. One way to look at it that captures the work of the triune God in its eternal plan that God the Father has decreed. All right? Once again, not the only way to look at it, okay? Just one angle to look at it. But to me, it helped me see God and what he was doing in these three chapters, in this plan that ushered forth. Well, let's look at the second three chapters and segments included in those. This gets a little more tricky. It's not necessarily by chapter. And I've set it out in your homework that you could see. I actually gave you some of the answers or some proposed answers. And I really what I was doing there was trying to capture the imperatives that we find in these latter three chapters. If the first three chapters are the indicatives, what is true, the last three chapters are then how we should live and how we're commanded to live. The imperatives, the actual commands that we're given based on what we just have read in the first three chapters. All right? And there seems to be a key grammatical marker 
in these last few chapters. And it's the word therefore, or sometimes it's translated as now. It's the same Greek word, but it can be translated different in your translations. Therefore walk, now walk. And we see that phrase repeated as grammatical marker in these last two chapters, last three chapters. All right? So using that grammatical marker, we talked about using those as the names for our segments. So when we start with chapter four, let me get there. I had walk worthy in the body. That comes from verse one of chapter four. Therefore, prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy. All right? The next time we see this word walk appear, all right, it is found in verse 14 and 15, excuse me, verses 17, excuse me, where it says now, same Greek word as therefore, looks different in the ESV translation though. Therefore now I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. All right? To label that section, walk in truth. Verse 20, according to the way that you learned Christ. So, walk worthy in the body, walk in truth, and now we get to chapter 5, and there's quite a different few segments in here that are punctuated by this phrase, therefore walk. We see in verse 1, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. So I entitled that segment, walk in love. Then we come to the next paragraph, paragraph 17, verses 7 and 8. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For one time you were, for at one time you were darkness, but now you were light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. So I titled that segment there, paragraph 17, walk in light. And then when we come on, we see this phraseology again, these key markers. We see in verse 15, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. So I entitled this segment here, Walk in Wisdom. Walk in Wisdom. So those are the segments that we see in chapters 4 and 5, all starting with the command to walk. Walk worthy of the body, walk in truth, walk in love, walk in light, walk in wisdom. All right? And then we come to our very last paragraph, um, other than the actual final greetings. That is paragraph 23, found in verses 10 through 20. Can anyone give a name for that? Do you want to give a name for that segment there? Stand firm in Christ. Okay, capture that word stand. Okay, firm. Good, good suggest that there is an opposition that is real. We're standing firm, contesting, standing against. Uh-huh. Good. Any others? Put on the armor. Certainly great. The armor of God. The whole armor of God, definitely the key theme there, right? Dressed in Christ. Okay. Captures that armor or clothing that we're to put on, right? Or to utilize. Uh-huh. Walk in Christ's strength. 
Yeah, I think there you're using the word walk. I'm just wondering, where do you see the word walk there? In that last part there. Okay, so you're kind of importing that in there. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> you could put walk, but what's interesting is he switches, he switches there. It's all walk, 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 and then he gets to the very end, chapter 6, and he says stand. I think that is significant, actually. This is how we're to live, but we're to stand. We're now to fight. So I think that might be better, where walk described the previous segments here, he could use the word walk, but for me, he chooses the word stand. Um, verse 14, stand therefore. Same word, therefore stand. Instead of therefore walk, no, he said therefore stand. Okay? You could, yeah. Yeah, sure. I think stand would be better though, yeah. Great, any others? How about the previous segments? I gave you some grammatical tips there and kind of went through that, but maybe I should back up for a second. Did anyone decide to divide those sections differently? The whole walk section. Walk worthy of the body. Walk in truth. Walk in love. Walk in light. Walk in wisdom. Did anyone divide those differently or come up with different titles that you liked better? Because there are other ways. Okay? Touches four and five. Obedience in Christ. Okay, for what section, Sergio? Just chapter 5? What verses? 5 and 6. Okay, are you starting with verse 1 of chapter 5 and going through all through? I just wonder where you started and ended that segment. Yeah. As you're thinking there, Sergio, as you're looking. Yeah, Bentley. Okay. 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 So use the word walk, but attach a few different other words that you found there, in there. Submit it. Okay. Good. I think that, that can work. Um. Yeah, there's many ways you can divide that as well. Um, I think the whole chapter four, all these walks, chapter four could be summarized as holiness, walk in holiness. I think that would be an, an apt description um, as well. Um, you could take all of chapter five as well and make that another larger segment as well. Um, Chapter 5, I had new life in love, walk in love as well. So there, there's a variety of ways you can divide it, guys. Once again, I was just using the grammatical markers there for you to help you. Because I think chapters 4 and 5 up through verse 21, that section is probably the most difficult to divide. That's why I tried to help you out a little bit there. Um, because it's not as clear, is it? There's just a string of different exhortations and commands. Great. Well, God, I just give you a feel there by helping you see the bigger picture through the different segments. Now, how about moving to the, the divisions? Chapters 1 through 3 and 4 through 6. Two divisions, divided them according to indicative and imperative. But what are some concise names that you could give to these two sections that you would remember? Anyway. Yes, Carmen.
Okay, God's action and our response. Certainly, that is definitely the way Ephesians is structured. So, definitely a clear, clear division there. Good. Yes, Kevin. Okay, know who you are. Okay, our identity in Christ, who we are, and know how we should live. Good. Captures that indicative and imperative division quite well. Good. Yes, Marcus. Salvation, mystery revealed, and how to live. All right, so revelation and our response. Another way of capturing that in those two divisions. Yes, Bentley. God's workmanship. Our good works. So, how would you differentiate the two there when, you, when you're thinking of our workmanship versus our works? So, we're God's workmanship. Okay, we're the product of His work. You're saying His divine activity. Okay. Good. Okay. 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 You, you'd say God's work, our work. That would work. <laughs> Got to redeem yourself now, huh? Man, they're sweating back there, yeah? Got to come up with a good one now. (laughs) Come on, Jason. Got to redeem yourself, man. No. Good. Any any others? Reconciled in Christ? Walk in a calling calling worthy manner. Okay, okay, man. I don't know about that. I think you're, whoo, man. I think you're pressing it there. Uh, well, good. Well, I had a, I had a few here, if I can. I know what I have. I was trying to find the page here. Great. This is how I divided it. Um, just easy to remember once again. Uh, division one, chapters one through three, the Christian's wealth. Chapters 4 through 6, the Christian's walk, okay? Our wealth, our position in Christ, and then have then, chapters 4 through 6, how we should live, our walk. Another way you could do it, chapters 1 through 3, our position. Division 2, our practice. Once again, just using alliteration or using the, um, the two Ps there. Um, I've also read another one as well. I did not use it. I thought that was pretty cool. Division 1, we in Christ, I love that it captures the in Christ, which is so prominent in Ephesians. Second division, Christ in us. Okay? So, anyways, different ways. Once again, keep it concise, keep it short, keep it memorable. For me, it's the Christian's wealth and the Christian's walk. The idea of riches of grace and inheritance and the Christian's walk. So, once again, looking forward to keep catchy, catchy that you can remember it, not only tomorrow, next month, but hopefully even years from now as well. You may forget some of the segments, but hopefully the main theme and how it divides is something you'll keep with you for hopefully years to come. And the segments, hopefully as well, but at least you get those divisions down clearly in your head, okay, as key markers. How about some key words, okay? I'll start us off only with this question. What is the most prevalent word in Ephesians? Other than the the prepositions in, okay. What is the most prominent, prevalent word in Ephesians? Any idea? 
Christ. Any idea how many times? 45 was my count. 45 times the word Christ is used. That should be a clue, okay, to the theme of the book. The word of Christ. All right. I did a little, what's called a wordle. Actually, this is from Bentley, the Ole Miss folks. Turn me on to wordles. It's kind of an Ole Miss word, isn't it? Wordle. I like that, wordle. And basically, you go into wordle, do a wordle, and you actually t- you type in or you paste, kind of paste the text for that chapter of Ephesians or even the whole book. And then it displays a visual image of the words in that text with the words most frequently used being the largest words, most prominent words. So I did a wordle for chapter one, and it spit out and produced this right here. May not be able to see it, but what is the largest word on the wordle? Christ, okay? Second is things and according. But it's helpful. You can do a wordle for any section or any verse, any chapter, and even a whole book as well. Just to kind of just in a visual way, just help the most prominent words stand out to identify. Because obviously repetition is a key marker, as said with the key words. Christ, of course, is the most prominent. This is the Christocentric, Christ-glorifying book, this book of Ephesians, and Christ is mentioned over and over. Well, what phrase is mentioned the most in Ephesians? Remember? It's a key phrase. What was it? In Christ. Right. Shared that, I think, the first class. We see this word, in Christ. We see it 35 times in this book. In Christ or in him. Sometimes the pronoun is used. This idea of in Christ, it is key. This phrase, in Christ, you see over and over. Paul's just hammering it home. You see, our understanding of our union in Christ is imperative to understanding this letter. And I suspect it should have some part to play in your key theme as well. Okay, this idea of being in Christ, our union with Christ, our position in Christ, our wealth in Christ. Okay? Oh, I'm opening it up. What are some other key words or themes that you found, repeated words in this book that you think this might be a key to understanding the meaning and even the theme of the entire book? There's quite a few. Church, okay, definitely. We see the word church used nine times in the book of Ephesians. That caught my attention. Is it church universal or church local that's being referred to in Ephesians? A, a specific local church or the church is at all the gathering of believers, okay, for all time? Universal, right? Every use in Ephesians is not the local church, but the church universal, i.e., all believers. For all time, okay? Use nine times. That's a key, okay? Church. Paul's concerned with the church here. That's going to fit into my theme somehow, okay? Good. What, what else? Love. Love is a key word as well. Used a number of times. In fact, let me see here. I counted 15 times. 19, okay? So, just like love, we'll capture that. Unity as well. This is a love. It's what we experience in Christ, right? And it's just love as well that we're to show to others. Key, we see it, love, in the first division and the second division as well. We are recipients of love, and we're also to show love, right, and love one another. So we have church, love, and I heard also, honey, right? You said unity, Cindy? Unity as well. I think it's another word as well. Not used quite as frequently as some others, but at key places. And I think that's going to be, that's going to show up as well, this idea of unity. 
of oneness, right? We'll talk more about that in days to come. That's a key word to keep in mind. What's that? Walk, we've mentioned, right? Right, mentioned six times. We use those for our segment titles. This word walk, which really, I mean, it's another way of saying live. Live it out, okay? Your actions, your response to what we're being taught. Walk it out. Walk the walk. Live it. Great. Any others? One another. Okay. Six times. Good. I didn't have that one. One another. That's good. That certainly comes into play, right? That second division, right? How we're to live and walk. How we relate to one another is going to be key here. In unity and love. Yeah. There's another key word I haven't heard yet here. That it's just, it's all over Ephesians as well. It's a wonderful word that we cherish here. Grace. We love it here as Christians, as sovereign grace. This word grace, yes. Ephesians is a wonderful book and study on the topic of grace. I counted 12 times this notion of grace. In fact, you know, it's like grace shows up at the very beginning. It's actually in the greeting. We can often just glance over the, the greetings. Ah, the greetings, yeah. No, listen, he, great, verse two, grace to you. Another key word, and peace from God. In fact, most of the key words and themes are surfaced in the greeting and in this initial doxology, grace and peace. How does he end the book? Look at that. Ah, verse 23 of chapter six, peace. There's that word peace, another key word, and love. Let me mention love, all right? From God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 24, grace be with you all. Oh, there's a word again, who love our Lord Jesus Christ with what? Love incorruptible. So I think it's significant how he starts the letter and how he concludes it. We see some themes right there. And grace and love are very prominent and worked out throughout the six chapters. Great. Any others that we missed? Okay, mystery. Yeah, Paul loves that word mystery. We're going to delve into that as well. But there's this mystery being revealed, right? Chapter 3. Not just chapter 3 alone, but certainly it's a theme of chapter 3. This mystery revealed. Ooh, we're going to delve into that in the months to come. That's going to be good. This mystery Chosen, okay. We see that just in the first chapter, right? Quite a bit, idea of chosen. Wisdom. I didn't have a count there, but certainly wisdom is a part. How about this idea of riches and inheritance? We see that as well. That's kind of where I got the wealth, the Christian's wealth and walk. Um, yeah, riches five times, inheritance four times our inheritance in Christ. We're going to talk about what that inheritance is in the days to come. One more key phrase as well. By the way, church is a key word. I also lump that together with the word saints. We say that a lot as well, church and saints. So the word saints is used nine times and the word church nine times. So this collective grouping here, saints and church, a total of 18 times are used. Okay, That's going to come into play as well. Also a key phrase they may not be aware of that is found only in this book and no other writings of Paul. It's his phrase, in the heavenlies. That's going to be key as we study this book. Why is Paul so concerned with the heavenlies, the cosmos? Okay, those in the heavenlies. We're going to talk a little more about that as well. All right, good. So recognizing Words that are repeated can provide our interpretive key to understanding the theme. With all this in mind, your divisions, your segments, and your key words, was there a, a 
take a gander at perhaps a, at least a provisional key verse for the book of Ephesians. You may have to adjust this some. We're going to go through it chapter by chapter. But right now, from what you've seen so far, might there be a key verse that says to you that you think, I think this captures some of the key words and themes that we've already talked about in our book and in the chart, okay, that we've compiled. 2.10. Let's read 2.10. Great. Yeah, I would even say, boy, I said verse, you know. I may even say 8, 9, and 10. I said I did say verse, but boy, I didn't want to put it all together there. Let's read verses 8 through 10. For by grace you've been saved through faith. So get the word grace, key word, and this is not of your undoing, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should what? Ooh, walk in them. I like that. So we're catching that theme of grace that we've been given in Christ, this idea of walking. So that surely seems to cover some of the major themes that we've already identified already in our study, right? Great verse that may well be a key verse for Ephesians. Any others? I think there may be others as well. And okay, 5, 1, and 2. Okay, let me read that. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Okay, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So this is under the segment, Walk in Love. What I do like about this verse is it has the imperative to walk, but we see that it is a response to Christ's love for us. So we get this idea of Christ's love and then us walking in that love. So it's what Christ has done for us and then our response. Likewise, he has first loved us, then we're now to walk in love and to imitate him, okay? Might be a little narrow, but it certainly it definitely captures this response and action and love, Anna. So it's definitely a good verse. What's the theme verse? Not sure, but it's certainly a verse that has the indicative and the imperative in it, and I do like that, yeah. Yes, Jason. This is it, buddy. This pressure's on, man, yeah. Okay. You're representing all, all, all Miss right here, okay? All the alum for all time right here. No, no pressure. One, three, okay. One, three, our opening of our doxology, our eulogy, this, this outburst of praise. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. So certainly it covers well this first division, right? This idea of blessing. It covers, it's two, it really covers all three persons of the Trinity, right? God the Father, right? Of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with what? Every spiritual blessing. So it captures the triune work of God and the blessings that we have in Christ. Okay? What's that? It's halfway there. Halfway there, that's right. Halfway there, yeah. Okay. Uh, yes, right. Not found in that verse, but certainly it's leading the way to that. Right. Nice, nice. No, that's, that's, a good, that's a good verse. This idea of, and it also captures this in Christ phraseology as well, which is key. These blessings in Christ, which you're right, is key. We're going to talk about next month what these blessings are as delineated in chapter one. Good. 
4.1. Therefore, yeah, I prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Ooh, that's a good one too. Notice what's happening there? Urge you to walk. There's a key word walk in a manner worthy of what? Your calling. It refers back to your calling, your position in Christ. Walk in a life that is consistent with who you are in Christ. Right? Christ in us. Right? We in Christ. Christ in us. So live according to your calling. Right? I like that. It covers both divisions of Ephesians well. I think that could be a really good um, key verse as well. 5.8 For at one time you were in darkness, but now you were in light. You are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Okay, covers the before and the after. That's what I do like about it. It has the word walk in it. As children of light. I think the question is, I think it, it definitely falls within that segment, walk in light. It would be a key verse for that segment. The question is, would this be a key verse for the entire book? Could be. Could be a tad narrow, but in the same sense, it does have the before and after there, um, which Ephesians 2 captures well, um, the before and after of our salvation. Good. Any others? Sorry? Multiple verses, uh huh? Of what chapter? I'm sorry. Three through six. We have the blessed be the God and the Father once again in search of blessings. You you went on, even as you chose us in him for the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. And in love he predestined us for adoption as sons. I think you can. I think it's a little long. Certainly there's, it's covering several of the spiritual blessings. So we're introducing the thought in verse three that we have been blessed in Christ with these spiritual blessings. And then it starts to delineate a couple of those that we've been predestined and chosen. Certainly, I think it could function as such. Um, I think it gives a sampling of some of the blessings. So it introduces the blessing, gives a sampling, at least two of those in there. But I think it'd be best to keep it a little simpler, down to one verse, if possible, or two there. Um, Good. I see where you're going. So you're saying you're using that. We've been chosen by him. That's his plan, right? That we should be holy and blameless. So you're using that to say, how are they, how are they should, okay, I, I like that. Good. I, I, I didn't catch your logic. That's good. So it's our calling and then how we should live based on our calling. The fact that we've been chosen by Christ. Why have we been chosen? To be holy and blameless. So then the implication is live like it, right? Good. Okay. Thanks. It's good. Well, let's get, get you going here. Um, I think there's one other key verse, maybe the key verse for the entire book that we haven't hit yet. But I'm not going to tell it to you today. I'm going to reserve that for next month because it is found in chapter one. Oh, Bentley thinks he knows it, huh? You can guess it. This is it, man. Okay, this is it. This, woo, Bentley, man, stepping up to the plate, put it on the line right here. Okay, very observant, very observant. Yeah, you caught my first uh, segment there, the Father's plan. 
right, and you keyed on that, and we read in Ephesians there, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. Ooh, yeah, that's a nice one. Well, you got it, and we're going to talk about 9 and 10 next month. I think Ole Miss has been redeemed. Bentley, man. Woo! Jason was sweating it, man. Good job, buddy. Good job. Man, I'm back. Great. <laughs> no wrong answers, just some better than others. All right. Well, guys, what we're going to do in January, i.e. next year, is we're going to now dive into chapter by chapter and get to the analytical phase. We've spent three months observing the book of Ephesians, right? Trying to catch its flow, seeing the big picture, how it's structured. Now what we're going to do is start to confirm our observations by going chapter by chapter and really digging into some of the grammar, the way it's also how these verses are laid out, and really dig deeper in understanding this book. I think we have a good foundation here. We've taken the time to see the bigger picture, all six. Now we're going to go back in section by section, segment by segment, division by division, right? And go a little deeper. So with that in mind, next month, January 12th, we're going to capture, we're going to go through chapter one. And this one I'm going to ask you to do. I ask you to read chapter one 10 times. All right. Before then, I'm going to send you, hopefully this next week, a set of questions to guide you through your study of chapter one. All right, and we're going to use this discussion, those questions, we're going to discuss those in groups and use that as a platform, those answers as a platform for our discussion next month as we go into this glorious doxology and this initial prayer of Paul. So the, the homework will be coming this coming week. I was hoping to get the questions to you today. Didn't quite finish them. I want to make sure so many wonderful truths to plumb here. Just want to make sure I can narrow it down to the top 10 or 12 questions for you to go through. It's going to guide your study and hopefully guide your eyes. And the Holy Spirit is going to use to enlighten your hearts to the glorious message of Ephesians. This glorious plan, not about the Father, executed by the Son, and mediated by His Holy Spirit. All right? With that in mind, it is time to close. Thank you so much for your attention. I just want to say one more thing as well. We're now at the phase when I give you the homework that you may want it if you haven't this is the point where you may want to use a commentary, and that's okay. I wanted you to avoid using commentary, just to develop eyes of your own to see, and not immediately beeline to what the scholars say. But now we're getting to the phase where, as I ask you questions, you may want to, if you have a commentary, look at it. If you have an ESV study Bible, that's a great resource for you that may help you understand a little better some of the grammar and the words behind the English words that we see in our text. Um, there's a number of uh, commentaries that might be helpful. I'll put those in the homework as well. So with that in mind, you are dismissed. Thank you for this evening and your investment and attention. And once again, if you have any more grow pictures, send them my way, and we'll present them next month. All right? That's it. Take care. The homework will be emailed to the home group leaders and sent out via home groups. Okay? Great.